This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. in the last 24 hours that have stuck with me. One, my mother went to go somewhere. I don't know where she went, to uh, the store, or she went to some to conduct some aspect of commerce. And she was, you know, making small talk with the person that was helping her. And she mentions me. She mentions that I'm on the radio and tells her what station that I'm on. And... The guy says, she says, yeah, he's on for four hours from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Eastern. And the guy says, oh, what does he do the rest of the day? And I just thought that struck me like a ton of bricks. There really are people out there that think, oh, I'm just doing this for four hours, do this, walk in, leave, and then the other 20 hours of the day free. Well, what you are about to hear, not only for the next four hours, but every four hours that we are on the air, is the result of a whole day's worth of work. In some ways, the four hours that I'm on the radio here are the easiest four hours of the day. Because, you know, it kind of flows naturally to some extent. There's a whole bunch of prep that goes into picking what subjects people might want to hear, trying to come up with interesting things that people might want to hear, coming up with interviewing uh, with interesting guests for people to interview that folks may be interested in hearing. And then I got another SMS text message from a friend of mine. Actually, it's a WhatsApp message right before the show who said, Have a great show. I hope the beginning is very boring so I can fall asleep. I got news for you. No such luck, my friend. No such luck. This is not only going to be one of the most interesting beginnings of a show that you've heard in your lifetime, but the entirety of the next four hours, because remember, this is a show that's meant to be listened to holistically, is going to be fascinating. It's going to be a show that stimulates the imagination and dazzles the ear. I usually like to go kind of off the beaten path a little bit, and I realize everybody in the world is talking about the Iowa caucuses, and we're going to talk a little bit about Iowa because Michael Tracy, who's one of my favorite journalists, is in Iowa. He's going to call in in about 20 minutes to give us a report on the ground there, and he's had a really interesting perspective, and the things that he's been reporting really haven't been reported anywhere else. For instance, there's one presidential candidate that kept throwing him out of their events, saying he lacked proper credentials. Something tells me you will be able to guess which one that is. 
Additionally, a lot of other insight that you really only have if you're on the ground in Iowa. So we're going to talk to Michael Tracy in just about 10 minutes. As far as the results of the Hawkeye Hawkeye goes, I don't think it was a surprise at all. Uh, to me, the only drama was whether or not President – well, there were two pieces of drama. One, whether President Trump would get over 50 percent of the vote. Looks like he has, which I think is a major victory for him. And the other one was the battle for second place. It was pretty close between DeSantis and Haley, and it looked like Haley had uh, picked up some momentum in the last couple of weeks. And ultimately, DeSantis finishes with in the second place finish which I think is a pretty good thing for his campaign. We'll see what uh, momentum that gives him going into New Hampshire. Because I think, honestly, if New Hampshire, uh, if uh, Haley finishes third in New Hampshire, right now she's running a relatively strong second, but usually Iowa kind of reshuffles the polling. If she finishes third in New Hampshire, I think it sends the message to donors and to the kind of the anti-Trump Republicans that, Okay, if you want to stop Trump, the person to do that is DeSantis. I'd be curious to hear your view. 800-848-9222. President Trump, as I mentioned, did win with over 51% of the vote. He's a little bit of his victory speech. And uh, to all of the people standing behind me and all of the people in this room and so many great politicians and great dignitaries and friends, I just want to thank you all. This is a very special night. And this is the first... Because the big night is going to be in November when we take back our country and truly we do make our country great again. Thank you very much, everybody. Great honor. Thank you very much. And thank you. This is actually the first time in a competitive race that Donald Trump has won the Hawkeye Hawkeye. You remember what happened eight years ago, the winner, a very narrow contest, not like what we just saw now. Uh, the winner in the contest back in 2016 was uh, Rafael Edward Cruz. So this is the first time that Trump has won the uh, the Hawkeye Hawkeye. And you really have to look at and and this and we'll get into the, more of the nutty the nit, nitty gritty with Michael Tracy in a minute. The massive and historic size of Trump's victory, and it really should lead. I think everybody in the media, in politics, everywhere, it should lead some people to do a little self reflection about what caused the complete collapse of faith in the legitimacy of U.S. institutions, namely law enforcement institutions. Because it used to be, not long ago, if you were indicted, you were done. The thinking was, if you were indicted, oh, not only is that not a viable candidate, but you're going to have to resign. Now, the voters, when he's been indicted in four separate felony cases, the voters have essentially said, we don't care. And by the looks of it, it might have even been an asset. So I don't have the answer. I have a lot of theories, but I think we should all give some thought to, hmm, why did these indictments carry no weight with the voters? And is that kind of the way we're going to do politics going forward? Bob Menendez is certainly hoping so. Bob Menendez is under indictment, and when he took to the floor of the U.S. Senate, he said some similar things to what you might expect from people like Eric Adams, Donald Trump. Here's a little bit of uh, embattled New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez on the floor of the U.S. Senate. 
Let me also say that for the administration, the political establishment, and for my detractors, it would be much easier to have me exit the scene so that an unjust deal in immigration that won't really solve our problems at the border, but that would hurt the Latino community, would be easier to be achieved. Or that a new deal with Iran would be more possible. Or a cozying up to the Castro regime could take place. Or selling F-16s to Turkey could be finalized. I get it. But I will not step aside and allow those things to happen in the name of political expediency. See, he doesn't have the kind of showmanship, the kind of flair that Trump does. But in terms of substance, he's really essentially saying the same thing. He's saying, look, they're going after me. And if I leave, if they beat me, then there's going to be a new horrible Iran deal. You're going to have a big problem with missiles to Turkey. And you're going to have a real problem for the Latino community. He's saying that he's framing his indictment kind of like Adams and Trump have. Not that Adams has been indicted. As totally political. Very interesting. 800-848-9222. I think, uh, honestly, the big winner tonight is because everyone was expecting Trump to win. And it's great that he won with over 50% of the vote from his perspective. But I really think the big winner tonight in terms of the next phase of the campaign is DeSantis. If DeSantis had finished third after banking his whole campaign on Iowa visiting all 99 counties, doing what they call a full Grassley. If he had finished third, he was done. There was no way he could have concluded. He could have uh, continued to raise money and kept his campaign going. But he's staying in the race. Nikki Haley, uh, she was always banking everything on New Hampshire and hoping for a, uh, you know, a shot in the arm in her home state of South Carolina. She was going to be able to continue regardless. But one of the things that she said in her concession speech, I found a little bit odd. Here was former South Carolina Ambassador Nikki Haley. I can say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. I mean... Don't you find that the strangest thing in the world from someone that finished third? How is it a two-person race, but she's claiming that the two people are not the persons that finished one or two? It's You remember, you remember when Joe Lieberman um, ran for president in 2004? And I, I like Joe Lieberman as a person. I think he's an honest guy, and I don't agree with him, especially on foreign policy. But I, I love his independent spirit. I, I think he's a great guy and a smart guy. But he, with a straight face, went up there after finishing, I think, fifth or sixth in New Hampshire— and said something to the effect of, because uh, Dean had won, oh no, uh, Kerry had won and Dean had finished second, I believe. And he went up there, this is 20 years ago, so if I don't remember the exact no, ranking that people had, pardon me. But he went up there and says, after New Hampshire picked two neighboring sons as their top two candidates, we are in a three-way tie for third. I thought it was the strangest thing I'd ever heard anybody say. Now, I guess you have to find a way to leave a positive spin, but you're not in a three-way tie for third. You finished sixth or fifth. I don't, I don't remember. So I thought that Nikki Haley uh, comment was equally odd. The big takeaway is the, the, the demise of the Vivek Ramaswamy campaign. Vivek Ramaswamy, who I actually find really fascinating. We've talked about a lot of his ideas 
And I like that he was an ideas guy. And again, I'm not against older people running for president, but I think it was great that he was really the first person of his age to run for president. I think it was great that he was willing to stand up to the military-industrial complex, even the ideas that I didn't agree with him on, like um, causing, uh, you know, having native-born Americans have to take a citizenship test in order to vote. I appreciated that he brought them up. I thought he got the ball rolling in getting a lot of discussion going on a lot of different subjects that would have been ignored, but for his uh, participation in the campaign. He dropped out of the race. As I've said since the beginning, there are two America First candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. So now you really do have a situation where you have the Trumpian wing of the party. I don't know what you want to call it. The MAGA wing, the America First Party wing, the wing that is not for endlessly intervening in foreign wars and having open borders and openly selling out to the donor class, which is certainly the I'm not a Republican. But if I were, that's the wing that I would be more associated with. Versus the more establishment wing of the party with Haley and DeSantis both trying to try for that uh, establishment lane. It was interesting because yesterday, I guess Trump really wanted to make sure he finished over 50 percent. Trump went after Vivek Ramaswamy for the first time. He had not done that really at all in the campaign. And it's easy to see why, because anybody that would like Vivek probably would also like Trump. Whereas if you were somebody that preferred Haley, chances are your second choice was more likely to be DeSantis than it would be Trump. But anyway, uh, they asked Vivek on uh, Fox and Friends yesterday about this, about being thrown under the bus by Trump, even though Vivek always said nice things about Trump. Why do you think uh, former President Trump threw you under the bus over the weekend? Well, I, I didn't get thrown anywhere, but I think there might have been an attempt to do that. I'd say that it's partly because of what it was, Elon, you were under the bus. Well, look, I'd say what and, Elon and Musk and others were saying. The bus had snow tires on it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this is, is you know, I'll, I'll, I took it in a, in a lighthearted way. But the truth is people have to have their heads stuck in the snow not to see what's happening on the ground here. I know the mainstream media is ignoring it, but there has been a massive surge here late in the process. Mm -hmm. A number of endorsers who were widely expected to go to Donald Trump, legends in Iowa, like former Congressman Steve King, widely expected to go for Trump, came for me. A number of the strongest constitutionalist conservatives have switched from the other candidates in the last 72 hours to me. Steve Holt came from Ron DeSantis. Right. And so I think people who are actually on the ground are not blind to that reality. So somebody asked me on the way in today what I thought was, and, and I get this question from somebody uh, just about every day, what I thought the likelihood was of either Trump or Biden winning in the general election. And the truth is, I have no idea. The election is still uh, 10 months away and anything can happen. First of all, I'm not completely convinced that Biden is going to be the nominee. I realize that every day that passes, it becomes more likely that Biden is going to be the nominee. But there's just no way to know. I also think the presence of third party candidates this year is something that is going to have a an outsized impact on this election. I don't know what impact that is. A lot of the uh, consensus thinking is that the no-labels candidate may hurt 
Joe Biden a bit more, and that if Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is on the ballot in a lot of these states, that probably hurts Trump more. And with Jill Stein and Cornell West, depending on what states they get ballot access in, they may provide a place to um, Arab voters and Muslim voters who aren't happy with what Biden is doing on Israel to exercise their dissent without voting for Trump. So Biden's got kind of a twofold problem on the third party front. He's got on his left, Jill Stein and Cornell West, and to, you know, for the centrist never Trumpers or centrist independents and Democrats, you have this no labels candidate. And it's being reported that they've apparently narrowed down the list of potential no labels candidates to 13 candidates. And there's been speculation that it might be Joe Lieberman, been speculation that it might be Larry Hogan, even though Larry Hogan endorsed Nikki Haley over the weekend. There's been speculation that it might be John Huntsman. There's been speculation even that it might be Chris Christie. Joe Lieberman said that over the uh, over the weekend. I don't know what base of support Joe Lieberman thinks Chris Christie has. There's been speculation that it might be Liz Cheney. But one of the guys that has gotten a whole bunch of people speculating about whether he's going to run as a third-party candidate, in this case, vis-a-vis no labels, is West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Because he says he's going to decide soon, in the next few months, and he's already made the decision not to run for re-election. He was on CNN, I think it was CNN, uh, or it might have been one of the Sunday shows, apologies to Face the Nation or Meet the Press if uh, if I misattribute this. But Joe Manchin was on one of the Sunday shows asking if he's going to be the no-labels candidate. It's really the question that everybody's asking him. And this is what he said. Well, let me just say, I have never been a spoiler, nor will I ever be a spoiler on any election. If I'm involved, I'm involved to win. But to be a spoiler for the sake of throwing the election one way or the other, I would never do. So he says, if he's going to spoil the election, and there's a much longer clip there which you could take a look at, he said he's not going to, because he cares about the country, He's not going to do anything that might get Trump elected. But the reality is their polling and their research may show that the no labels candidate may have a chance of winning. But and look, I've been involved in third party politics literally my whole life before I was old enough to vote. One of the things that we see is once the race gets into the home stretch a lot of times people that were favorably inclined towards the third party candidate, they say, oh, well, my guy's probably not going to win. Let me pick between one of the two major parties. So I don't know where that goes, but it's going to be interesting. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this, aside from the third party aspect, and if there's time, I'm going to grab a few of your calls. There's three open lines, 800-848-9222. We'll get to a couple of you before we get to Michael Tracy, who's going to call in live from Iowa. A lot of people are concerned about artificial intelligence and the role that AI may play in this campaign. We've already seen AI ads from the DeSantis campaign. We've already seen AI depictions of President Trump hugging Dr. Anthony Fauci, which uh, didn't happen, at least not in the manner depicted in AI. We've seen AI used a great deal already, and people are very concerned about what AI may mean for this election. Sean Henry, former executive assistant director of the FBI, was on NBC News talking about generative AI and the potential dangers 
of other countries getting a hold of generative AI is going to change the face of the 2024 election, in in my opinion. And I think that um, we've seen Russia, China, Iran uh, heavily engaged in attempting to influence or subvert elections globally. And that's only going to get worse with generative AI, the tools that will allow uh, audio, video, images to be changed, uh, the ability to very, very quickly and at scale disseminate this false and misleading information is going to have an impact. Uh, There's no doubt. I'm curious if you're worried about AI and the impact that AI may have on this election. I'll be honest, I am. And I'm not even talking about if it's done by Iran or China or Russia, although that's certainly a valid concern. But I'm just talking about AI dirty tricks from political opponents. People may, you know, the so-called low information voter may get sent a vote, a, a video of one of the candidates doing something or saying something that never happened. So um, with that in mind, the kind of the lead AI company, the king of the hill, so to speak, is this company called OpenAI, which, by the way, I'm not sure how I understand how this company is a nonprofit. We'll do a future segment on that because somebody's getting away with something when OpenAI, which wants to charge me $5 a month to upgrade from uh, ChatGPT 3.5 to ChatGPT 3.4 or ChatGPT 4. Where's all that money going, okay? Uh, I'd like to know what they did to earn their nonprofit status, but that's a story for another day. So the artificial intelligence lab OpenAI published a blog post yesterday seeking to address fears that its technology will meddle with elections as more than a third of the planet prepares to head to the polls this year. It's not just the United States. You got Italy. You've got, um, we just saw the elections in Taiwan. We've got elections all over the world in a lot of places that are very, very tumultuous. So the use of AI to interfere with election integrity has been a concern really since they released ChatGPT, which can mimic human writing pretty convincingly. You can go on there and say, write me a radio commentary in the style of Frank Morano. It'll do it. And DALL-E. Which, whose technology can be used to create these deep fakes or realistic-looking images that are fabricated. So those worried, it's not just the tinfoil hat crowd. It includes OpenAI's own CEO, Sam Altman, who testified in Congress in May that he was nervous about generative AI's ability to compromise election integrity through one-on-one interactive disinformation. Now... The San Francisco-based company said that in the United States, which is going to hold its presidential election this year, it's working with the National Association of Secretaries of State, um, an organization that focuses on promoting effective democratic processes such as elections. ChatGPT is going to direct users to canivote.org when asked certain election-related questions. The company also said it's working on making it more obvious when images are AI-generated using Dolly. It's meant to be, Dolly's meant to be a portmanteau of the artist Salvador Dolly and of the um, robot character Wally. And they're planning to put a CR icon 
on images to indicate that it was AI generated following a protocol that was created by the Coalition for Content, Provenance and Authenticity. I think that's all a good sign. So I'm not sure that this assuages my concerns, but especially about foreign actors, but I think this is a step in the right direction. This is going to be the first presidential election in which AI is a thing for everybody. You could log on to AI right now or or any kind of these AI artistic softwares, and I've been having some fun on my Facebook page uh, showing different public domain characters as radio talk show hosts. Yesterday was Hamlet. And you can log on there and create a photo of or a picture of George W. Bush endorsing Joe Biden or Donald Trump, even though that didn't happen. Some look better than others, but, you know, this AI technology, it's accessible to everybody now. It's not only accessible to engineers. And this is the first presidential election that's taking place in that climate. Go to one quick call here, and then we'll talk with uh, Michael Tracy live from Iowa. Al is in Yonkers. Hi, Al. Good morning to you, Frank. Uh, you know, Frank, I wanted to say I, I expected uh, Governor Haley, to Ambassador Haley, to come in third tonight. The reason is because Governor DeSantis, as you know and pointed out, he visited 99 counties in conservative Iowa. He was endorsed by the popular governor, and he had a lot of support with the uh, evangelical leaders in the state. So you uh, you thought, well, I mean, Vivek did a lot of those same things. He visited all 99 counties. He spent all his money in Iowa. It didn't propel him out of fourth. But so you think, uh, what do you, give me your prediction for New Hampshire. My prediction in New Hampshire, you know, New Hampshire is always unpredictable. You remember back in 84 with Gary Hart. So it's a very unpredictable state. But I think Donald Trump will win. But it will probably be uh, uh, Haley has to win there uh, if she can't. Uh, she'll have a very hard time moving forward to her state in South Carolina, which I believe President Trump will beat her there. It's very interesting. Thank you, Al. 800-848-9222. We'll talk with Michael Tracy straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
singing about being out of touch. Um, speaking of being out of touch, we are not currently in touch with Michael Tracy, so we will try and get a hold of him. We will see. But trust me, this is one of those days where there is plenty to get to. Hey, yesterday we spoke a little bit. Uh, we spoke a little bit about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and I explained how there was actually a jury trial in 1999, a civil trial that found that Martin Luther King Jr. was in the was killed as a result of a conspiracy and unlike the jfk case where i really consider myself open-minded and agnostic i do believe that martin luther king jr was killed as a result of of a conspiracy i'm not sure if it's a conspiracy that includes the memphis police the mafia and federal government agencies but honestly it would not shock me it would not shock me so in the last year of his life william pepper who i referenced yesterday he he wrote in his book that King had plans to move into mainstream politics as a presidential candidate with pediatrician and anti-war activist Dr. Benjamin Spock. You know, it's funny. Years ago, Dr. Spock was it. He was the go-to baby doctor. And I'm not talking about Mr. Spock from Star Trek. Dr. Spock was so popular as a baby expert. He was who everybody talked about it. He was he was the guy. And he's become for the current generation of of parents so obscure. I mentioned him to my wife the a uh, couple of months ago and she didn't know who he was. She thought I was talking about the Star Trek character. And Dr. Benjamin Spock did subsequently run for either president or vice president. I think it was in 1972. But anyway, Martin Luther King was planning to move into presidential politics with Benjamin Spock. And the focus of this King-Spock partnership was going to be to bring people together nationwide, highlighting the importance of an anti-poverty and anti-war agenda that would shift American society from something that was what they would call a thing-oriented society, powered by weapons and machines, to a person-oriented society born out of freedom and equality. It's like I said yesterday, with respect to war, and I think King and Spock were right, how does the average working-class person benefit when your country goes to war? You don't. You don't. So King dreamed of this uh, global society of peace and cooperation, And he envisioned a movement that would activate a deeper consciousness in activism and politics. And his position on the Vietnam War, for instance, was a natural extension of the civil rights struggle. King himself once said, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual doom. Well... King's actions attracted negative attention from a lot of powerful interests. Now, I would imagine some of those powerful interests included the people making money selling those weapons. They were threatened by this unifying and very empowering messages. These interests included politicians, government agents, military contractors, multinational banks, all of whom profited lavishly from the war machine. And so it's no wonder that following Martin Luther King, well, you know, the Freedom of Information Act lawsuits uh, 
and official documents from the House Select Committee on Assassinations revealed a coordinated effort with law enforcement, with the military, and intelligence agencies to tarnish King's reputation as a civil rights activist. They were convinced he was a communist, and the FBI director, J. Edgar Edgar Hoover, had a particular obsession with taking down Martin Luther King and the larger civil rights movement. Following Martin Luther King's speech, Beyond Vietnam, 168 newspapers attacked him. J. Edgar Hoover once told a group of reporters at a Washington news conference that King was, quote, the most notorious liar in the country, close quote. And his efforts intensified after that speech, ordering the wiretapping of Martin Luther King's phone lines, bugging his home, bugging his hotel rooms, and sending informants to infiltrate his inner circle. This is from the uh, New York Times, uh, the article, The Man Who Knew Exactly What the FBI Was Doing to Martin Luther King Jr., That what I'm about to read you. Scores of ranking officials and agents at the FBI, dozens of elected officials and several informants embedded in King's inner circles knew what was going on. And none, as far as the public records indicate, blew a whistle on the campaign. That's not the campaign against King, meanwhile. It's not me saying this. That's from the New York Times. So soon after Hoover began his vicious surveillance campaign against King, a blackmail letter was sent to King along with a tape, a tape recording showing him having sex with a woman that was not his wife. This is according to uh, Senate investigations in 1970. A draft of the letter was found in the files of William Sullivan, who was head of the FBI's domestic intelligence division. The letter denounced him as, quote, a colossal fraud and a dissolute, abnormal, moral imbecile. Your honorary degrees, your Nobel Prize, what a grim farce will not save you. You are done. There's only one thing left for you to do, the letter says. You know what it is. There is but one way out. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. I mean, clearly the implication there is they wanted Martin Luther King to kill himself. So in 2022, the release of previously secret FBI records revealed how government complicity in the campaign against King reached the highest levels of power. President Lyndon Johnson was briefed weekly by Herbert, by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, regarding their surveillance of King. And unfortunately, the surveillance of activists, especially anti-war activists, is nothing new. Is it really such a stretch to think that there might have been a plot to take him out? I don't think there is. Well, one of the reasons I'm mentioning this today rather than yesterday is because one of the presidential candidates that I actually really like, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I think is right on a lot of the key issues, he came out yesterday, and I guess maybe he had no choice, but he came out and said something that I thought was a little odd. And RFK, who's running as a peace candidate, who's running on some of those same issues that Martin Luther King was actively vocal on. He actually came out and defended 
the Kennedy administration's wiretap of Martin Luther King Jr. So this was on Sunday. He defended his family's role in authorizing government surveillance of Martin Luther King Jr., calling it a necessary step amidst the political tensions of the civil rights era. And these are, first of all, I mean, I guess you got to give him credit for saying something you know is not popular because these are incredibly provocative comments. And he made these comments on a campaign trip to Atlanta on the eve of the Martin Luther King holiday. So in this interview with Politico, Kennedy said that his father, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., who authorized the wiretapping of King as attorney general and President John F. Kennedy permitted the eavesdropping because they were making big bets on King, particularly in organizing the March on Washington. They were betting not only the civil rights movement, but their own careers, and they knew that Hoover was out to ruin King. There was good reason for them to do that at the time. Because J. Edgar Hoover was out to destroy Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, and Hoover said to them that Martin Luther King's chief was a communist. So Robert F. Kennedy, speaking to Politico, says, My father gave permission to Hoover to wiretap them so he could prove that his suspicions about King were either right or wrong. I think politically they had to do it. Whoa! Whoa! If we're now saying that in recent history, 60s is not long ago, that it's okay to get wiretaps on someone without a warrant in clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. If we're saying that's okay because we really want to prove what a good guy he is, that is such a dangerous mentality. And look, I recognize that I don't have the familial and emotional attachment to this issue that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. does. But I think he is way off base on this one. I think, you know, for his father, the attorney general, and his uncle, the president, to go along with what J. Edgar Hoover was doing is just shameful. And I understand what he's saying. I understand what he's saying. But John F. Kennedy should have said, all right, J. Edgar Hoover, you're fired. And I realize everyone talks about how powerful J. Edgar Hoover was, lasting from uh, FDR to Nixon, more powerful than most of the presidents he worked for. Well, that's why you're the president. And I know there was uh, all these files that would have embarrassed the Kennedys that he he was afraid to release. Okay, well, that's something you got to keep in mind when you ask for that job. But to defend his family's participation in what is widely considered a shameful episode in presidential history— I thought that was really odd. Now, I'm hoping to ask Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about this. I'm hoping we get him on the show soon. But um, I thought that was a little bizarre. Now, he has not been, uh, I, I don't believe, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that is covered fairly by the mainstream media. I think he's been covered fairly by some in talk radio and the podcast sphere. But is it possible they took some of what he said out of context Maybe we asked um, Elias to see if there was any audio of him actually saying that. We were not able to find any. They didn't put any out there, at least that not that we're aware of. But I thought it was uh, I thought it was a really bizarre thing to come out and and say, especially 
uh, just a day or so before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Very, very fascinating. All right. 800-848-9222, Two open lines if you want to comment. Juan is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, Juan. Hi, how you doing, bro? Hi. Listen. Thank you. How, how you doing? Great. Um, yeah. I haven't called you in ages, but I just had to... Uh, I just had to let you have this one. Listen, about this artificial intelligence, right? I'm not sure that this is something new. I mean, and this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. It was 1971, and I worked at a small but very prosperous uh, typewriter uh, business machine store right there on uh, 59th Street and Lexington Avenue, right outside Bloomingdale. And uh, what happened was that there was a big uproar, 1971, okay? There was a big uproar with everyone, the guy on the street, professional people, scientific, uh, Playboy wrote a, uh, a comment on it, Rolling Stone magazine was only a couple of years old. They also wrote on it because the uproar was because uh, uh, someone came out with a new calculator, and this calculator had a memory. And everyone was saying, oh, how can this be? This is about the devil and uh, uh, memory right, so is a human trait. One, I, I don't mean to. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but it is only a four-hour show. Is, is there is there anything relevant here towards what we're talking about with respect to the election? No, you asked me what I called for, and I told you about, and I told you about that I called, okay, and I I, I told your screener also about that artificial intelligence thing. Right. So I understand the the calculator, but um, so now that we're in this election in 2024 and people are raising these concerns no, about. No, I didn't call about any election. Okay, Juan. I told you, screener. All right, one. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate the call. Artificial intelligence. One. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I just. I don't know. I feel like we gave him a lot of leeway there. Um, so be it. All right, um, Juan. Sorry, didn't mean to be rude, but again, we got a brevity is the soul of wit. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, and when you call, get to your point right away. You know, I don't need that much background. I mean, unless it's really compelling. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. Sign at Midnight with Frank Morano.
is Simply Red holding back the years. This is a birthday bumper music selection by Jamie Langer, uh, who uh, I haven't seen in years, but she's an old uh, chum of mine from decades ago. And, you know, we used to be pretty uh, tight, so we figured we'd give her an opportunity to play some birthday bumper music. And uh, even though her birthday was yesterday, a lot of people felt that her birthday was sort of overshadowed by Martin Luther King Jr.'s. So I, I felt like she should get you know, I don't know, a little bit of a, a little bit of recognition and a little bit of acclaim as well. So happy birthday, Jamie Langer. Hopefully, I'm not sure if she has a married name now, but hopefully all of uh, your wishes came true. All right. Um, hey, speaking of wishes, let me tell you. So I am in this football pool, six playoff games this week, and the freaking Detroit Lions couldn't score two more points. So that was the only game that I lost on the weekend. So I won three out of four games over the weekend. So then we're going into Monday, and you had the uh, Buffalo Bills game, which had been postponed from Sunday, and I picked the Bills. You know, they're New York's only football team. I'm a New Yorker. I picked the Bills, even with the point spread. And I log on to this uh, sports betting app that I downloaded because I, I placed my first online sports bet on Saturday. Because and I don't want to make this a habit one because I don't really have a lot of money, but two because I don't I could see this going sideways very quickly. But I log on to the sports betting act and I app and I see I've got ninety one cents in there. I said, huh? Maybe I didn't withdraw the full amount that I won in my victory on Saturday night. Let me see if it'll let me place a ninety one cent bet on the Bills. Sure enough, it did. Sure enough, the Bills won. So I that I now have a dollar seventy-four. Figured, all right. Some found money here. Pretty soon we're gonna be in the territory of that six dollars and thirty-one cents that uh I've been shortchanged from doing damages uh 17 years ago. And I said, um, you know what? I picked the Buccaneers in my football pool, even though they're you know underdogs by three points over the Eagles. Why don't I, what the heck? I'm going to live dangerously. I'm going to let it ride and bet this $1.74 on the Buccaneers. Sure enough, Buccaneers won. So I ended up with $3.61 from today's wins. Now, I think, I'm not sure, but I think because I had five wins that um, that I won my football pool for the week as well. Uh, there were other people that have that had five wins, but usually when uh, there's multiple people with five wins or multiple people that win, you go to the tiebreaker, which is the points. The total number of points for that Monday night game determines the winner in the event of a tie. So I always, every week, my tiebreaker points is always 42 points. Because if you've read the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know that 42 is the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. So I always pick 42. And when you know this Buccaneers-Eagles game last night, it ended with 41 points. So I have not gotten the official word from Sherry, our pool mistress, but I think I think I won the football pool, uh, getting five out of six games correct and nailing the points. So... Even though I don't know that much about football, I am the Diane Chambers of the Red Apple Audio Network. I think I might need to switch careers and become a professional football handicapper because I'm putting on a clinic here. 
in accurately predicting these games. Again, but for those two points from the Detroit Lions, I would have I would have had a perfect record this weekend. But um, I uh, one thing I did want to correct yesterday, I said that it was the first time that the Lions had won a playoff game since Bill Clinton was president. Not accurate. Their their win on Sunday was the first time they had won a playoff game since George H.W. Bush was president. So I regret the error. I retract my prior comment and correct it. Tony, that's not bad, huh? I mean, come on. That's impressive, but on $3, come on now. Well, I mean, that's what I had. That's what I had available, you know. I mean, if I had a hundred dollars, who knows? I'd be uh, I, I'd be lighting my cigars with a hundred dollar bill. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Those of you that are uh, holding, I'm going to try and get to all of you. Let me begin with uh, a man who's an American institution himself, Vincent in Brooklyn. Vincent, what's on your mind? Good morning, Frank. Frank, about fifty years ago, and this guy died fifty years ago. Uh, I was in business with a guy whose father was a, was a wise guy in Baltimore during Nancy Pelosi's father's reign. And he told me, Dan, he said back then, 50 years ago, he died in 76. He said, Dan, that the FBI was corrupt, that if they can't get you fair and square, they'll set you up. And I don't think anything else has changed in all those years. Most of those guys in the FBI and in the upper levels of government, if they didn't have those jobs, they couldn't pay their mortgage. They'll do anything to keep their jobs, even even most politicians. Because, for example, somebody who works as an electrician for the city, if they get fired, they could go work for a private company. If somebody who's working on a, a road construction crew, they could go work for a, a private company. Most of these government jobs do not exist in the private sector. And we saw in the last election how the whole Justice Department went after Trump and set up all the people. Fannie Willis down there in Georgia Hey, now. Vincent, Vincent, I got to make that the last word. Great call. I agree with much of what you said. Let's talk again soon. Uh, those of you that are holding, I'll get to you. Um, until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.